Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are a visionary. You have a vision. You just need to create it and bring it to life. Welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program will be an hour of inspiration from leaders who are making their visions happen and will set you on the path to having a big impact through your leadership and the life you really want. Now here's your host, Kate Ebner. Good morning. Welcome to our month of exploration. You may recall in April, Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life is featuring conversations with National Geographic Explorers. One thing I've learned about the Explorers program is how diverse the work of the Explorers really is. We'll be talking with Explorers who are doing very different kinds of things all over the world over the next few weeks. My guest this morning, Aziz Lucera. Aziz is an award-winning peace activist, writer, and teacher who explores innovative ways to create dialogue and understanding around the world. His work takes him all over the globe. He's currently the co-executive director for the Center for World Religions, Diplomacy, and Conflict Resolution at George Mason University. Good morning, Aziz, and welcome to the show. Good morning, and thank you for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure to have you, and I know as I've prepared to have this conversation with you, Aziz, I've really uh, been gathering the stories of your life and your work, and I must tell you, I'm honored to have you here this morning. I want to begin, Aziz, by having you explain to our audience what you do in the world. What, what is your actual work? I, uh, I do quite a few things, so it's, it's hard to, to pin it to one thing, but I work at the Center for World Religions, Diplomacy, and Conflict Resolution, where uh, we do conflict resolution work in different countries in, in the world. We do work in Afghanistan, for example, where um, I work with the mullahs and imams, clerics, civil society leaders on, um, on the conflict there and how Islam has been misused for uh, radicalism. And so I work closely with them on re, uh, re-messaging what, uh, what Islam is, how to deal with their uh, people in their mosques, uh, how to work on countering the radical messages. Um, so I've, I've been doing that for uh, a year and a half now. Being, I'm going back to Afghanistan in, in June uh, to do the same and working with over 100 of the top imam and clerics in the country, and it's been uh, amazing. So that's uh, through George Mason. I'm working mm-hmm. um, also through George Mason on a study abroad program that my office sets to Georgia, Indonesia, uh, Israel, Palestine, uh, Turkey, uh, Syria, that is uh, not going at the moment, and Egypt. Um, And it's about learning about conflicts and how to be involved in conflict resolution. And then I I co-founded with a couple of friends, colleagues, um, a company, a social enterprise, that uh, mixes tourism and peace building and conflict resolution where people who come on our trips are able to learn um, how to how to not just be a tourist they enjoy their times they have the fun but they also engage in learning about the place its narratives uh, from dual narrative aspects or multi-narrative aspects 
and then how to be also engaged in that places. And in my free time, I enjoy writing, so I write for a couple of newspapers in Israel and Palestine. Aziz, I'm amazed that you actually have any free time <laughs> listening to you to describe what you do. Um, tell tell us a little bit about um, you know what it what it looks like uh, when you talk about working with imams and work, working around the world. Uh, what when you show up to do your work, what are you actually doing? Uh, with the imams, what what we did is we I went to Afghanistan and spend a lot of time in the beginning listening to what the needs are and realizing that often the, the problem with conflict resolution, the problem with development, is it's easy to walk into a place and think, I know already what's the problem, because it's easy mm-hmm. to identify many problems. Uh, the issue is figuring out what's the problem that the people there are dealing with at this moment and what do they want. So when I first uh, got to there, I spent a lot of time with the clerks and imams asking them, What's the need in, in their country? How can I be at help at them? And the answer was something I wouldn't have expected. Uh, I, I thought they might have expected logistical help, some teaching help, some um, conferences, but really what they needed is uh, feeling less isolated. They said we feel isolated from the Muslim world. They have hardly any connections to other clerics in the Muslim world. Um, they wanted to to, to have that encouragement from uh, clerics in Egypt, in Jordan, in Bosnia, in Turkey. And so we set up, um, last December, we set up a meeting where we brought a hundred of those imams to Istanbul and I brought um, top Muslim leaders from uh, across the world, um, such as the uh, Mufti of uh, Istanbul, the Mufti of Bosnia, the Mufti of Jordan, uh, Sheikh al-Islam Kadri, who's well-known for writing a fatwa against suicide bombing and violence, um, president of Al-Azhar University, who's the head, of, uh, the head of the oldest and biggest Muslim university in the world in Egypt, and spent a few days discussing what they really wanted, and they, what, what they needed, and talking about how isolated they feel. And that connection created, that, that meeting created a connection that's still going on now, and I'm going next time to Afghanistan to do the same thing and taking some of those leaders to Afghanistan to meet with them. And we'll sit down and discuss different hot issues, whether it's violence, suicide bombing, women, all of that, and figure out what is the right message that those clerics uh, can preach to their congregations. So it sounds like you, you convene people to have the conversation that's most most important to them actually the one that they want and need to have and you your starting point is really to 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 invite them to have that conversation with you present is that's a very simple way of saying it is that accurate yes i think often what's missing is not really a lot of work is just being the facilitator to bring people to have the conversation and to have that dialogue and then to come up with a plan. So now they have a plan and going public relations and uh, bringing that message that they came up with publicly. So I facilitate and help to make that happen. But originally, the most important thing is is a conversation, as you said, is yeah. to make sure they sit down and talk first among themselves. I mean, the division within Afghanistan, you have different provinces and you have different sects and different ethnic groups. And we had to first work on bringing those people together because we didn't want to just to bring clerks from Kabul and say, here we had 100 clerks, but to actually bring people who are different, people who are former Taliban. And they had to sit down and work their differences and then work with other clerks from other countries.
Aziz, is there a process you used when people entered the room to just bring you know, bring them to the starting point of the conversation? Well, we looked at at what's unifying between between all the uh, factions there, and uh, in- interestingly enough, it was stuff like poetry and things like. Uh, uh, actually, poetry was one of the main things, but also what we did is that the aspect I use in my work is the storytelling. Have people telling stories instead of talking about ideologies and thoughts and, and positions of what's right and what's wrong. And stories make people listen to each other um, in ways they would never have listened to each other before. So these two things, uh, seeing clerics sitting together in, in a circle and reciting uh, poems was one of the most amazing things I've, I've ever mm. seen. And it's something that I think many of us here, maybe in the States or in, in the West, do not comprehend that they would be reciting love poetry and, and uh, even national poetry, things about their country and home that brought them together. Mm. You know, it's interesting to hear you say that at Georgetown University, where I teach in the leadership coaching program, we use poetry throughout the program to create kind of a, a, a universal message of, um, I guess, love, encouragement, acceptance, recognition of the, the challenges and, and fears people naturally have. And I think that po- I'm not at all surprised to hear that poetry has that effect, um, but I'm so glad to hear that you use it. Stories are essential to your work, Aziz. Um, tell us more about about storytelling and the role that it plays and, and why you think that it's so important. I think when you uh, talk about facts and statistics, it's, it doesn't move the heart. It moves the brains. It makes you think of what's right and what's wrong. But I believe that people change mainly because you move their hearts. And if you only try to change their thoughts without moving their hearts, something is missing and they're not going to have passion. They're not going to be dedicated to the to the story, to the to the idea you're trying to to uh, present. So storytelling gives people that chance to actually identify. They see themselves in the story. They figure out in which part of the story they identify, and so it it reaches to the heart and it reaches to their innermost uh, important things and to their values. To it, it's much more powerful, I believe, than facts. And it's not. It's not that statistics and numbers and facts aren't important. They are, but they don't, they don't really move us in the same way. So I, I focus on storytelling because also it's much more fun, actually. Mm-hmm. I enjoy telling stories, and I enjoy telling whether it's my story or other people's stories, and just watch the attention in the room. When I tell just the dry statistical stuff, people you know, kind of fall asleep. Uh, while when you tell stories, it's amazing to see how everybody is uh, attentive and listening and trying to be part of that conversation and start telling their own stories the moment you told one story. And so it, po- it opens up a discussion that's, uh, that's incredible. Well, I, I want to invite you actually to tell your story. We have about three minutes before we take our break, and your story is a big story. But um, why don't you begin and talk a little bit about how um, your own story as a child growing up in East Jerusalem 
I know that you lived through a great deal of violence. You witnessed the deaths of friends and neighbors. Um, you could have turned your life in one direction, but you went in a different one. Would you like to tell right. us that story? Well, and I, I did. I went in the, in the other direction for 18 years of, of my life. I grew up, as you said, in East Jerusalem. I was born in 1980, so in 87, the first Intifada Palestinian uprising started. And as a, as a little child who had nothing really to do with, you know, Jerusalem doesn't have much, uh, at least East Jerusalem didn't have much, much to offer kids. I saw people throwing stones at, uh, at TV, and I went and threw stones myself with, with a few friends at seven years old, didn't know what the heck was that was. And it was kind of funny the first time I threw stones, now at least funny, because I threw stones not realizing we were supposed to throw it at the Israelis. And so I went and threw it at my neighbors, uh. which uh, didn't work well at the evening when they showed up at my parents' <laughs> home, and I got uh, I got in trouble for it. But eventually, I figured it out. Um, uh, I was shot at for breaking uh, a window of a bus when I was just a few months later, seven, eight years old. Um, when I was nine, my brother was arrested from home at five in the morning, and he was taken to prison, beaten up to confess that he threw stones, and he uh, sustained an injury, uh, a lot of injuries. He had a spleen failure and a liver failure, and uh, soon after he was released, we took him right away to the hospital, had to go through a surgery, and soon after he passed away in the hospital. So mm. when that happened, I got very angry, very bitter, and all I could think about is, is revenge. And I remember thinking... Um, well, I thought if somebody punches you in the face, what's, what's, the, what's the thing you do after? And it was clear to me that when somebody punches you in the face, you don't take a step backward. You don't hide. You don't run. You hit back. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what I wanted to do. And that's what I did for eight years later. I joined uh, a political faction in uh, East Jerusalem called... Uh, uh, Fatah. I became very active in mobilization and in writing. I edited their youth magazine, and all I cared about is revenge. And uh, I did that until I was 18. Uh, so friends being killed, people being detained, I've been beaten up a few times, uh, shot at many times. And eventually, when I was 18, I had uh, I had my transformation, which showed me that uh, I was wrong in in my perception and my understanding. You know, we're going to take a break, Aziz, and this is a, a good moment to stop when we come back. I really want to hear you tell us about the transformation. We'll be right back. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866 472 5790. That's 866 472 5790. Voice America Business Network. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. 
Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back. This is Kate. This morning I'm talking with Aziz Abu Sarah, a cultural educator whose vision is one of reconciliation and peace, not only for Israel and Palestine, but also for cultures and societies around the world. Aziz is a Muslim who works closely with rabbis and Christian groups and speaks Arabic, Hebrew, and English. He once said, Walls that separate people are often built on ignorance, hatred, and fear. I try to put cracks in those walls. When people realize they feel the same pain, they begin to see how much we all have in common. Before the break, Aziz and I were talking about his story, and we want to return there. Um, Aziz, why don't you just begin with what you told us about your brother's tragic death, and you were mentioning that you experienced a transformation. Would you like to start there? Yes, um... When, when I was 18, I was still very active in, in, in Fatah, and I, I refused to learn Hebrew growing up, even though it was mandatory in my high school. And, and I refused to learn it because I thought it's the language of the enemy. How could, I, how could I speak it? And I managed to go through year, three years through school not learning one word. But finishing high school, I realized living in Jerusalem, not speaking Hebrew, is is a problem. You can't really do that. So I started looking for a place to learn Hebrew, and I realized that the best place to do that is uh, an ulpan, which is where Jewish newcomers to Israel, immigrants, uh, Jewish immigrants, they go to learn Hebrew. So I subscribed there, and I started studying, and I remember the first day I walked into the class and looking at everybody's face, and it was I was the only Palestinian in that classroom, and I thought, I don't belong here. And I didn't want to talk to anybody, but when you learn a second language, they kind of force you to talk to other mm-hmm. people in the class. Mm-hmm. So I started having these conversations, how are you and who are you? And I was in the beginning, I, I really resented it and didn't want to do it, and for a few weeks I, I did that. But eventually you start having these conversations, and you realize uh, the walls that you put up around yourself and you realize that much of what you believe is, is stereotypes and, and there are people on the other side. And I realized at the moment that conflict survives because we demonize and dehumanize each other. And I did it and they've done it in, in the same way. I didn't know any Israelis, any Jews until I was 18 years old. I mean, I've met them at checkpoints and settlers, but I didn't meet people, not just soldiers. And as nice as a soldier can be, you know, he's carrying a gun. It, it can't 
you can't have a real conversation with them. And in that classroom, I, I remember it wasn't even in the beginning political that started to change my mind. It was fun things like um, I'm, I'm the only Palestinian I know, and I might lose some of your listeners by saying this, but I'm the only Palestinian I know that loves country music. I'm a <laughs> big, big fan of country music, and unfortunately, Palestinians don't listen to country music. So it was fun for me to finally meet somebody who could know what I'm talking about when I say the word Johnny Cash or <laughs> any of the other uh, famous singers. So it started with that, but eventually we needed to talk also political things. And I realized that even my perception there was was wrong. I met many of them who who believe that I have the right to freedom and have the same rights that they do. And that's when I realized, I guess, the conflicts are not about um, those versus these as an ethnicity, but we can be actually on the same side. Uh, Israelis, Palestinians fighting for the same thing, for justice, for freedom, for equality, for safety, security, for everyone. And that, that changed my perception. I, cha- I, I realized that regardless of what happens to you, you still have the ability to decide which way you go forward, that regardless what others do to you, you're still the master of your own decision. And when I did what I did, when I was angry, when I was bitter, it was not about justice, it was about revenge. And I was being a slave of the person who killed my brother. I was not making my own uh, decision. That's, that's when I decided to, to dedicate my life to, to this kind of work and in, in many different ways, but realizing that you know our blood is the same color and our pain is the same and our tears are as bitter and trying to think that my pain is more than others is is ridiculous you know that's it's a powerful statement that you're making um you know and i i remember when we spoke before you know you talked a little bit about this class that you took when you met these um jewish people who were people, not soldiers, to your point, and suddenly you found a new conversation. And you also were learning Hebrew, so you were learning a new language. And, um, you know, I want to refer back to the point you made earlier in the show, Aziz, about poetry as a language of of connection. You know, I I think the language we speak does have a great effect on whether we can enter the new territory or not, so to speak. And I just want to make that connection. Yeah. I, I yep. completely agree. I think language helped me because when you learn a language, they taught us a lot of music and culture and what what does a word mean? There's more than one meaning for each word. And even later, so reading the, the Hebrew Bible in Hebrew and connecting to even that kind of culture and, and realizing, you know, I was striving, working hard in the beginning to get Israelis and Jews to learn about me and I wanted them to hear my story and my narrative. But at one point I realized I can't really do that until I'm willing to learn theirs. And you Mm. can't open people's hearts, you can't really get them to sympathize with you and understand your pain if you're not willing to understand theirs. And learning the language helped helped me to do that. I mean, I never heard of the Holocaust until I was 19, I think. I didn't know a thing about it. And and I didn't want to learn also about it at that point because, you know, there's an idea that if I learn about somebody, my enemy's, quote-unquote, pain, um, I'm sacrificing my own rights. I am letting go of my own pain and if I'm justifying them. And 
I had to put an end to that myth. And I remember going to Yad Vashem, for example, which is the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, on my own and just walking around and, and struggling. Do I feel what they feel or not? And after a few minutes walking there, you, you let go of your own... Uh, your own prejudices and learn that this is this is exactly why we have to work together that people are able to do crazy things and inhumane things even and that's why we need to stand together israelis palestinians americans doesn't mean it doesn't matter which different groups to, to work together to understand each other to see the pain that we all have and after i did that it was amazing i wrote about it in an israeli newspaper called haaretz and I started getting mm-hmm. all these messages and emails and calls saying, you, you were willing to do this. How can I learn your narrative? I want to do the same thing. Mm. Wow. And, and this, this connection, again, you know, the, it, I mean, I, I, love, I love how clearly you're telling us that if you want to be understood, begin with the intention to understand you know, make yourself available to the other person's narrative, mm-hmm. and the invitation to tell your story comes after that. But, um, you know, this this uh, idea that you didn't know about the Holocaust until you were 19, that you had no idea what it was about, and that you went to this museum and discovered it and, and realized that um, human beings can do terrible things to each other and, and I know this helped you understand the Israeli psyche. I know it gave you the ability to have empathy and sympathy and, and um, begin to see empathy and sympathy as a strength, not as a weakness. Right. Uh, tell, tell us more. I mean, you're, I know that um, from there an alternative road opened up and you really started to give lectures and and talk to Israelis who'd lost family members. You really, it, it, this transformation, tell us more about that. Well, one of the people that I met at that time was named, uh, I'll, I'll tell you about two people who've become very important in my life, uh, other than my partners here. But Rami Al-Hanan, Rami was, uh, is an Israeli who, who had the same story as mine, just from the other side. And he also never met a Palestinian until he was in his 40s. And uh, his daughter was killed in a suicide bombing. And I met Rami already a while before, a few months before I went to the Holocaust Museum. But his father was uh, an Auschwitz graduate. He, he was a survivor of the mm. Holocaust, uh, gone through horrific things. And I think going to the Holocaust Museum opened up a relationship between us that could not have happened before. Just me being able to understand this. And uh, I've gone with him and other parents uh, and family members of uh, uh, those who've been killed in the conflict, to, to schools, to universities, to churches, mosques, synagogues, both in Israel and Palestine and around the world, um, to speak about our experiences. And we would walk into uh, a place and um, just start talking, and people assume the first minute we'll walk in, if it's an Israeli and a Palestinian, we're going to have to fight each other. We're going to have to get in an argument. And when we didn't, it was... Uh, it was a shock. It was a surprise to, to those people that, how come you're not, you're not fighting? We weren't competing. We weren't trying to say, my pain is more. We were saying, we both suffered. Let's put an end to this. There is a way to walk out. We're not doomed to live in this conflict forever. And we wanted people to know this is how much it costs to continue this conflict. So look at us and think 
of yourself. Think that you don't have to be in our place to, to, get, to come to the same conclusion. People don't have to lose a family member to come to the same conclusion. And it's true because the other person that's become very close to me is a, is a young guy, my, my young guy, my age. I'm trying to say I'm young, I guess. Um, <laughs> but he, he grew up as a radical. He grew up spreading settlement since he was a teenager. He grew up um, very anti-Arab. He told me he would go and like throw stones and pepper spray Palestinians when he was 13 and 14, so the same age of me, became a soldier. And I went with him. We were running a tour together once, um, Dowell narrative tour that, that we do, and we went to Hebron together. Hebron is where my ancestors come from. My aunt lives there. And as we walk around, he points to the houses he used to shoot at. And uh, I looked at the house, and I, I was shocked because it was my aunt's house. And so we had to sit down and talk about that. And I later took him to my aunt's place and introduced him to my cousins and got them to share each other's stories. And to see the impact of that was was incredible, to to see him come and say, you know what, I used to shoot at your house and I don't do it anymore and I want to be your friend. That kind of reconciliation is, is unbelievable. And it can happen and it does happen. It is unbelievable. That's that's a remarkable, um, almost uh, unfathomable thought. You know, that just the the very person who was throwing stones at this house, you know, the house of the enemy, so to speak, could have the opportunity to go and be personally introduced to the people who live there and have a a reconciliation, a, a connection from a positive perspective. And it's a, it's a small story in a way, but it seems to be the whole story <laughs> in another in another sense. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think we're going to be taking another break in a moment. And is there anything else you want to say, Aziz, about, about this new path that you found your life going down? Um, you know, what you turned from well, this stone throwing yourself it, to helping other people. It's not an easy path. I think it sounds... Maybe I made it sound romanticized a little bit. It's cool and it's nice and you meet awesome people and it's true. But it doesn't make things all easy, meaning it's actually a harder road because I still, when I'm in Jerusalem, I still have to go through checkpoints. I still have to be humiliated a couple times, still shot at, even though I'm not throwing stones uh, anymore. Uh, And so it's not easy and I understand I'm not naive saying oh the moment you become a peace activist everybody's going to love you and everything is going to go great and you're going to have no hardships you're still under the same conditions but I ask myself about the alternatives and I think this is the only alternative this is the only way forward and it's still costly I had cousin who who was killed just 18 months ago uh, by tear gas 18 months old um so it's still hard and still the conflict's still going on, but I don't see any other alternative. So I just want to make sure that it's not coming across that, oh, the moment you become a pro-peace, nothing bad will happen to you. It's, it's still a rough journey. Thank you. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? 
Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you are looking for both an inside and insightful look at what you're not seeing in media coverage of today's legal, business, and policy battles, tune into In the Court of Public Opinion with host Jim Haggerty. What happens in the public arena affects us all. Whether you're following the latest high-profile court case, corporate crisis, or are just interested in government and policy, be sure to tune in every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. The witnesses are ready and the jury seated. So join us for our next session in the Court of Public Opinion. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. This is Kate Ebner. I'm speaking this morning with Aziz Abu Sarah, a cultural educator who's been honored for his work as a peace activist, teacher, and writer. He's received the Goldberg Prize for Peace in the Middle East from the Institute of International Education, the Silver Rose Award from the European Parliament, the Eisenhower Medallion, and the Eliyev Sartawi Award for Middle Eastern Journalism. And I know that, um, Aziz, as I'm saying this, you're probably thinking, Let's not talk about my awards. <laughs> Let's talk about my work. Um, I want to return to that, but I want our listeners to understand um, the extent of the impact that you've had. Um, it takes a great deal of courage to stand up for spe- peace and to create opportunities for understanding between people who are accustomed to seeing each other as enemies. I'm curious, you know, before the break, you talked about this is not a rosy, easy path to go down. Um, there are amazing moments, but this is a... A difficult path, and I wonder, Aziz, are you ever afraid? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think fear is a natural part of us. It's about what we do about it, and so there are moments, um, there are moments where I do feel ups- upset, or afraid, and angry, and these are the moments I have to confront myself and ask myself, what am I doing, and what's my goal, and what's my purpose in in this work. Um, uh, I think denying those moments would uh, would make us un, unhuman in some ways. Um, uh, when I hear gunshots, I, I I have things from my past that right away rushes into my brains and thoughts and ideas, and so it it brings some fear and some anger into into me. And then um, I have to take a moment and and rethink again and say this is not who I am and this is not who I'm going to be. I, I, I've, I'm a changed person. And so it's, uh, it's a continuous, it's a process. I think the idea that sometimes we change in one day, um, there's a hocus-pocus kind of magic that you become a peacenik peace and everything is cool. It doesn't work. It's a long process. And who I am today is different than who I was five years ago. And five years ago, I still was a peace activist. I had to learn a lot more and to get over some fears and some struggles and some things that I, I didn't know. 
Hmm. You know, I'd like people who listen to this show to understand that they too can be visionary and in fact that we all must be courageous and willing to envision a future that we really want, a more harmonious future, a more sustainable future. It's up to us to do this. Um, Aziz, I wonder, what's your vision for the future? I want to... I want to use what I do, my vision is to use what I do to really foster new ways of people relationship to each other, um, whether it is through religious work like I'm doing in Afghanistan or whether it is through uh, business dynamic, which I'm doing through my, my company. I want, to make, I want to find a new path and new ways to actually make relationships across enemy lines easier and sustainable and doable, where people realize we're not enemies. Um, I know it sounds vague and big, but in my mind, it's, it's actually clear um, mm-hmm. be- because I'm, I'm working on it. So I'm trying to figure out what, or I'm, I'm in a continuous search for what makes, um, what works across enemy lines to make people see each other, understand each other, and work with each other. And storytelling, which we've been talking about, is one of them, and then um, going through practical partnerships is the other, and that's, that's the other thing I'm doing. Tell us about that. What do you mean going through practical partnerships? Well, one, one of the things about conflict resolution, peace building, is often it's, it's done through NGOs, non, non-profit groups, uh, academ- academia, but little of it has been done is through practical uh, business ideas where it's become a norm of life, not just an extra activity you do. Uh, let's come to a dialogue between Jews and Muslims and Christians. Uh, that's, that's extra. It's not the normal meeting place. And to make it the normal meeting place, you ha- in, in some ways you have to go into existing uh, structures and make it part of those existing structures, whether it's in education or in business. And that's that's the part I'm focusing on, is how can conflict resolution, peace building, uh, the storytelling become part of a business where it's economically viable, so it's not on a small level, but actually can go on a large scale and reach millions of people, not just thousands of people. And in the same time, it is still embodies all the peace building uh, ideas and, and can, can work. And I found that to work it through First Tourism, which is mm-hmm. the, the social enterprise uh, I co-founded with Rabbi Mark Gopin and Scott Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, tourism is amazing because last year, um, almost one billion people traveled through international lines from one country to another. That's that's an amazing, an amazing amount of people, especially comparing it to um, 50 years ago or 60 years ago. I think it was the number was about 25 million. So to see the difference of, of traveling and how much it affects people. But I also saw that travel, business can be used negatively in this case. Tourism, I've seen tour guides when people come to Israel-Palestine, for example, who will use their position to inflame the conflict and tell people you have to support us against them. And if it's an Israeli tour guide, it will be very pro-Israel tour. If it's a Palestinian, very pro-Palestine tour. And it's the same everywhere else, by the way. I've seen it in Egypt. I've seen it in Turkey. Also, people go and never learn about the culture. They learn about history and archaeology and often forget to meet the people. They forget that there's much 
more interesting stuff happening today than what happened 3,000, 4,000 years ago. So we wanted to reform and work on reforming that industry in, in our own capacity. In Israel, Palestine was started tours where we have an Israeli and a Palestinian guide all through the whole trip together. Um, they're telling each other narratives. They're not fighting. They're both peace activists. Um, they both understand their own community, but also have figured out a way to talk to the other. So you see these two, two guides not, not fighting with each other, but telling totally different stories and then saying, so how do we deal with it? If we talk about 48 or 67, these wars that are very important to both communities, how do we deal with the different stories that sounds like it's a different universe? And the stories that come out of these trips are, are incredible. I mean, we had, if I can tell you one, for example. Please. We mm -hmm. had a Jewish congregation once come, um, and the rabbi said, you know what, I've been to Israel many times. I want to I do something a bit radical. What if I go and spend a night or two at a Palestinian refugee camp with my congregation? And I don't think everybody in his congregation was really thrilled about that. Because <laughs> refugee camp is a rough, rough living. It's, uh, it's not nice. You might not have electricity. You might not have water. You might, uh, and you Jewish and the Palestinians who've lost their homes in their eyes because of, of the Jewish community. So they're really, it's, it's not the simplest thing to do. And we, I put them there. And uh, I remember two days later going to pick them up. Um, and it was one of the incredible scenes to watch the Muslims and the Jews hugging and kissing, and you see even the woman with the head covers and the religious Jews and, and all of that, and just you couldn't believe that these people are supposed to be enemies. And uh, I, I normally jokingly say that uh, it was the first time in my life I see Palestinians cry in tears as Jews leaving their homes. Mm. But it was it was an amazing thing, and the relationship this happened two years ago still going on between these two groups, and that's that's one example of how tourism can, can make a difference. Not not everybody's going to go and stay in the other's home, but you can meet with them, you can spend time listening to them, and you still can do all the holy sites and leisure and the beach and uh, Jerusalem and the same again Turkey and Syria and Egypt. You can still do all of that, but. Why not take a few moments to also meet the human beings there? You know, I'm struck by the the objectivity, if you will, that the that your tour that your approach to the tour really gives. It's that two points of view side by side, you know, passionate points of view, but shared without you know enmity and. As a, and, and you know, I'm struck by the opportunity that that really presents to people. Um, that, you know, the chance to learn the whole the whole story and to see these these differences side by side, but also to see human beings across all of it. You know, the the, the human being, the um, to feel empathy and connection with people as people, um, and to understand the story as the story. And I'm, I'm, I know that this work you've been doing through your tour company has attracted the attention of the United Nations. Is that right? Yes. Uh, the company, we just won the United Nations Alliance of Civilization uh, Innovation, Intercultural Innovation Award. And um, the United Nations uh, Specialized Agency, the World Tourism Organization, decided to mentor us uh, because, of the, because of the innovative idea. Um, I just 
so they don't get mad at me. The award I mentioned is also in together with BMW uh, Group. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned. Well, congratulations. Thank you, and it's. I think it's a. It's it's good. It's a great because um, we have to do this on a larger scale, and I think that's the thing I realized. Uh, it's important to do whatever you can to make a difference in a small scale, and that's. That's who, if each one of us does that, then we can make a difference. But it's also important to change system, to change structures. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. working on tourism as one of those structures is, is important, but it's not the only one. And so I'm working other, working finding out how do you change other structures. But every structure you change, you can touch um, the lives of millions of people and be able to reach millions of people by that. So... Um, I'm kind of doing, trying to do both at the same time. <laughs> I understand that. And I think, you know, as you, what a curious mind you have, if I may say, you know, just listening to you, um, it, the innovation, you know, your ability to see something new at where we all are so used to seeing the usual thing, not even recognizing it as a system that presents an opportunity for change. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'd love to um, finish the hour with a little bit more about the practical partnerships. We'll be right back. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, Inspiration for the Entrepreneurial Mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. This is Kate. I'm here with Aziz Abu Sarah, and we're talking about um, creating peace in the world um, through a, a much richer understanding of conflict than perhaps uh, many of us have had the opportunity to explore. Um, Aziz, before the break, we were talking about um, your vision, which is a vision of 
connection, really, of helping people to connect, especially in places where they are disconnected by um, by stories of conflict, by by uh, painful histories, you know. And I think as we began to talk about what your tour company's doing, we were, we, you know, you shared with us the incredible opportunity you're offering people to go and see a place not through one lens but actually to experience it from um, several lenses and, and, and to come away with a much fuller picture of the human experience in that place. I want to ask you, um, when you think about this practical partnership, the idea that um, what's been missing perhaps or, or maybe it's better to say what's possible that has yet to be fully explored is the role that practical partnerships can play in conversation that leads to peace. Um, and, you know, you, I think you made the comment to me at one point when we were uh, talking before the show about how often people sit down to have a peace conversation and they move immediately to discussion of politics and your observation was, you know, don't go there first instantly. It's polarizing. Instead, begin with the stories that help us to understand each other. And then you moved on to tell me that um, practical partnerships are another way that, that people can focus in a completely different way on what's possible rather than uh, perhaps some of the more polarizing stances that, that traditionally have been taken. So I wanted to have you explain a bit more to us about the openings that come when there are practical partnerships available. Uh, absolutely. I think, I think where a lot of times what we people look at as risk is, is adventure. And I think practical partnership can be risky to many people, and that's why they might not want to do it, but it's an adventure. It's fun, and maybe this is why I ended up with, with National Geographic. It's, I think of risk as an as adventurous thing. Um, but with, with partnerships with cross-enemy lines, the idea is we're going to sit together and talk and talk and talk, and unless this talk eventually reaches to something tangible, something that we can do together, it's not sustainable. People are going to feel frustrated, one side or the other, normally the weaker side is going to feel taken advantage of, and so it's not going to um, survive for a long time. While practical partnerships say, okay, we talk together, we know each other, we learned about each other, uh, history, culture, what can we do together to make this sustainable? What can we do to make this going on? Um, we just started a program here in our center that focuses on partnerships like that, uh, uh, especially pair partnership, meaning two people from uh, enemy side or cross-border side uh, partnership. That could be anything from entrepreneur ideas, social enterprise, and, uh, NGO, whatever it is, or just an activity uh, that they can join together. I mean, the reality is all my partnerships are like that. Uh, Rabbi Mark Open, who I work with at the moment, um, we met a few years ago and just start talking, realized, okay, we like each other, we, we can see each other doing stuff together, and spent months after that brainstorming about what do we want to do together, what works out for our friendship, for us to be sustainable in this uh, together, and came out with a tourism idea, and came out with a um, business idea where you connect businesses and um, that's what our center now is working on, is going to areas of conflict, especially Israel-Palestine as a pilot, looking at uh, Israeli-Palestinian businesses and find ways to 
help them do joint projects together instead of fight each other. Um, because that's practical. That will make them care for each other. The reality is, regardless of who's in power, right, left, whoever, when you have a practical idea and it helps both people, it's hard for politicians to go against it because you're also hurting your own people. They might not care about the other, but they care about their own people. And partnership makes it harder for politicians to polarize us, uh, practical partnership. Um, so wherever people, I think, see the other's enemy, I see a lot of times a potential partner. And that's what we should focus on. Is, is this really an enemy or is this somebody I can work with? Tell me what reaction you get to these ideas from people when you start to share them. When you're talking to potential partners about being partners, what are some of their initial reactions? It's, uh, it's mixed. It's both. Uh, some people who think I'm crazy and this is impossible <laughs> and you can't do it. And, and I've heard that when we started our tour company. I mean, we had this high-level consultancy group who told us, it's ridiculously stupid, and you shouldn't do it because you're going to lose all your money on it. Uh, so I'm used to hearing that pretty much for everything I do. And uh, mm -hmm. sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. It's, mm -hmm. it's the risk. Uh, so I hear that. I hear people who say, you, you've you lost it, and how could you? And, you know, we should fight for justice, and you're Palestinian, and how could you talk to the Israelis? And and I understand the pain, I understand the anger, I just don't think that's what lead us to anywhere, and that's what, what I say, I think I, I really understand where they're coming from. Um, and I hear people who uh, totally don't care and say, why should, I, why should I even think about it? My life is good enough, why do I need to partner with the other? So I get some of those negative, but I also get a lot of positive, and I think way more than uh, more than the negative. Often the negative is louder, but the positive is much more um, tangible. And so I've met people on the ground from all over that want to work together, that want to be practical, that look at the day-to-day -day life issues and say, you know what, I'm tired of conflict, I'm tired of hating, I'm tired of always being politicized by every government in every uh, country and everyone want to talk about this. I want to do something that will give me a life, that will make my life normal. And these are the people I work with, people who are practical, who I think eventually going to make the biggest difference because they look at what's possible instead of what's impossible. What's the invitation that you'd like to give us all? I want to invite you to get out, invite us all, and I think it stands for me in the same, to, to get out of our comfort zone, to be willing to take that adventure, that risk, that that potential partnership to look at the other whoever and for every one of us there is another we all have that little bit of prejudice somewhere and to say what can i do to cross that line where is my place and and to be willing to do it i talked recently in a group in the group in uh, around st louis uh, area in a, in a college called principia and one person asked me there said yeah i want to do interfaith i want to meet Muslims, but where do I do it? How do I do it? They, they're not coming to talk to me. And you have, I want to really invite us to take the first step. If you want to learn about Muslims, go to a mosque and meet with them. Want to learn about Jews, go to a synagogue and meet them. If, if, you, if you're willing to take the first step to, to learn about the other, 
to be willing to say, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a partner. I'm looking for something we can do together. You'll find a lot of people. If you don't email me, and I'll be happy to to connect anyone with, with someone. Uh, but I think we have to be willing to take that risk. It's not easy, and it'll challenge a lot of our thoughts and our ideas and our perception, our stereotypes, but it's worth it. Change is painful, but worth it. Aziz, what sustains your faith in people, in the work you do? Uh, I've seen so much good to believe that we are bad. Uh, I think I've seen a lot of good people, and I've seen people who turned and people who changed and people who were, who were like me. I think, I guess, I've seen my life changing, and seeing all that happening, it's hard for me to believe that we can't all do the same. I think we all have that good in us. And uh, if one can do it, then others can do it. And neither me or my Israeli, Palestinian, Turkish, Egyptian, whoever partners are better than anybody else. And uh, I think uh, I've seen so many miracles, I guess, to be convinced that this can't happen. Aziz, thank you so much for joining me today on Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. It's really been an honor to have you here, and I think your words are not only inspiring, but a call to action for all of us. So thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Have a good day. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed hearing from leaders who are using vision to create an inspiring future. Please join host Kate Ebner for another edition of Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business Channel. Meanwhile, visit www.nebocompany.com for more tips on bringing your own vision to life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.